Welcome to the Battlefield Baptist Church Podcast. We are so glad you joined us and pray that this message is a blessing to you today. This week, we join Pastor in the book of Jonah with his message, Reluctant, Ready, or Right? Today I want to return to the book of Jonah, the book and story of Jonah. And if you'll draw your attention to chapter 1, I want us to read our passage again this morning. And the Bible says in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now it's important to understand as we begin a little bit about the city of Nineveh. The city of Nineveh in that time was the capital city of the kingdom of Assyria. It stood on the left bank of the river Tigris. Really across uh, from modern day, it's essentially seated across from the town of Mosul in Iraq, current day Iraq. In the ninth century, I can tell you, Nineveh was not a place that you would have wanted to visit in, much less live in. It was inhabited by the Assyrians. The Assyrians, if you've done any study of history, you can find that the Assyrians were a godless, wicked, and violent people. In fact, archaeological inscriptions, see, I don't even need to go to the Bible to find out how wicked these people are because archaeological inscriptions that have been found since then have found that the Assyrian kings boasted in their own cruelty. Some of the cruelty that took place in this uh, city of Nineveh was that they would actually take uh, their enemies and they would flay their skin off and then they would take the skin and hang it on the city walls. By the way, the city walls of Nineveh were said to be 100 feet high and 30 feet thick. How did they build that wall? Yeah. Someone has suggested that God sending Jonah to Nineveh would have only been closely related uh, if he were to call a Jewish person in World War II to go witness to Nazi Germany. That would have been the uh, equal, would have been to call a Jewish person to go in and to witness or to cry against the Nazi army of Germany. So understandably, everybody likes to throw Jonah under the bus, but I want you to know this. He he has a lot to answer for, but he's reluctant, which is the title of my message, Reluctant, Ready, or Right. He was reluctant, no doubt, to go to the city of Nineveh, to say the least. So I have to ask, I ask a lot of crazy questions sometimes. So why did God call Jonah? I mean, God knows whether Jonah's going to answer, right? He is God, after all. He knows that Jonah's answer is going to be, uh, I'm fleeing to Tarshish. So why would God ask Jonah? And why wouldn't he not ask somebody who would be willing to obey his call to go to the city of Nineveh? Well, I like to think that just maybe, just maybe, God called Jonah because he actually knew that Jonah reflected some of the same attitudes that so many of God's people reflected. Not only then, 
but also even now today. You see, like Jonah, I'm afraid many of us value our own comfort more than we value the mission that God may have for us. Maybe many of us value not only our own comfort more than the mission that God has for us, but more than the souls of men and women and boys and girls. I mean, it's really great to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, but to then to to be called or to ask to go share that same message with someone else, sometimes that can be difficult. You see, because we're all covered with that same stuff that says, well, that's good for me. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul, but I'm really not interested in going across the street to share that love with someone else. Oh, you see, Jonah was an Orthodox believer. He had his theology cap on straight. In fact, look at verse number 9 in chapter 1. Verse number 9 in chapter 1. And he said unto them, Jonah answering to the sailors or the mariners on the boat, he says unto them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. You see, Jonah knew that God had created the earth. He feared. He had a holy reverence for God. This word fear here was not like he was trembling. It's, he's saying, I reverence God. I know that he created the earth. I know that he created the seas. This is who I am. In fact, Jonah even knows more about it. Look over at chapter 4 in verse number 2. We are ultimately reminded that Jonah also knew this about God. He knew that God was gracious. He knew that he was merciful. He knew that he was slow to anger. And he knew that he was a God of kindness. Which is kind of crazy when you read the whole book of Jonah, which is not very long at all to see what's taking place. No, you see, the problem was not with Jonah's knowledge or his beliefs. The problem with Jonah was right here. It was his heart. The problem with Jonah was his heart, you see. And each and every one of us have to answer this question, where is my heart at today? Am I reluctant? Am I ready? Or am I even right? Am I right? Notice with me, if you're a note taker, I want to give you a few thoughts. When we are reluctant to obey the word of the Lord, as we see here in verse number one, it said, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. When we are reluctant to obey the word of the Lord, we have a tendency to run. And that was the case with Jonah. He put on his running shoes. Verse number three, as we've already read, the Bible says there in verse number three, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish. Now, Tarshish was a Phoenician city set on the southern coast of Spain. In fact, if you have that map, if you'll show, so everybody can see exactly what's taking place here. God tells Jonah to go to Tarshish. Now, I'm assuming that Jonah is somewhere here in the area uh, just above Joppa because the Bible says he went down to Joppa. Now, notice, Joppa to Nineveh is about 550 miles Okay, a short trip on the Amtrak up to New York City. But Jonah says, uh-uh, I'm going to California. He goes down to Joppa, and he gets on a boat, and he's heading across the Mediterranean there. He's heading over to Tarshish. But what was his goal? What was his goal? I mean, there's 550 miles plus or minus 2,500 miles plus or minus going this way, but what is Jonah's goal? Have you ever asked yourself, what is his ultimate goal? Verse 3 tells us. Verse 3, look at verse 3 again. It says, and Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarsha. 
but he wasn't just fleeing to Tarshish. He was trying to get away. You ever see that commercial? People are taking uh, vacations, says, want to get away? What is that? Uh, an airline? I think it's an airline company. They say, you want to get away? Jonah wanted to get away, but he wanted to get away from God. But I got news for you this morning because I've tried it. See, I've lived the little Jonah experience in my life. We tell ourselves sometimes in life, don't we do this? We're like, all right, God, here's the way it's going to be. I'm going to go ahead and section off my heart. And in this part, you're allowed in this part, but you're not allowed to come over to the living room. The living room's where I watch TV. That's my TV room. That's my man cave room. You're not allowed to come in there, Lord. Uh, but you're allowed in the kitchen. You're allowed in the bathroom. You're allowed in every other part of my... Isn't that what we do? We allow God in only certain aspects of our lives, see, because we sometimes want to get away from God. Have you ever been angry? When we get angry, I've been here, done this. Sometimes when we get angry, we try to, in our mind, convince ourselves that we can somehow transport ourselves away from the presence of God as if he doesn't know where we are. Jonah's trying to get away from the presence of the Lord. This is his goal, and here's the point. When we run from God, we run head on into sin. Wasn't that the story last week? If I'm not mistaken, because I listened to the message, the message last week reminded us that when we run away from God, we run head on into sin, we run back into sin, we run whatever it is, but it's always away from God and it's always towards sin. In fact, notice the story in verse number three. It says here, and Jonah went down to Joppa. Folks, when we sin, it's always a descent. It's always a descent. It's always a, 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 a visual of us getting further away from God. I always tell couples this. I draw a triangle when I do marital counseling, and it's like this. And I say, God's at the top of the triangle. Husband, you're here. Wife, you're here. And if you'll grow closer to God, what happens? The distance between husband and wife gets shorter and shorter as we get closer to God. But if I have one spouse going a different way and I have the other spouse getting closer to God, the distance between husband and wife, the, the communication gap, the commitment gap, the faithfulness gap gets further and further away. We must be drawing closer to God day by day, minute by minute, second by second, if we ever hope to obey God's word. Because guess what? It is not natural for me to obey God's word. It is not natural for you to obey God's word. The only way we do it is through the strength and the power and the wisdom and the guidance of the Holy Spirit living and breathing through our lives. And I'm going to get excited. I'm not supposed to get my blood pressure up so high. Notice what it says in verse 3. Jonah went down to Joppa. The imagery of sinfulness, going down to Joppa. Not, doesn't stop there. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. And so notice this. He not only goes down to Joppa, he pays the fare. I'll get back to that in just a second. He pays the fare thereof and went down into the ship. Another image of his sinfulness to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Oh, listen, when we run from God, we can be sure that there's going to be a toll to pay. There's going to be a fare to pay. It's going to cost you something. See, it's this imagery of what's taking place here. He goes down into it to go with them from the presence of the Lord. Op By the way, 
I just put this down. Opportunity in our life does not mean God is giving you permission. If you don't take anything else, take that with you today. Opportunity, just because God gave Jonah the opportunity to go down to Tarshish, he gave him the money to pay the fare to get on the silly boat, and he allowed him to walk himself down into the boat and hide in the side of the boat. That does not mean God is giving permission. See, he's allowing you to have this idea, this volition of will. You can make the choice. But guess what? That doesn't mean that he's saying that's a good choice. doesn't mean he's agreeing with your decision. A lot of people equate opportunity as God giving them permission or basically placing his blessing on their decisions. That could be further from the truth. You see, when we're reluctant to obey the word of the Lord, we have a tendency to run. And secondly, our reluctance, our reluctancy to obey the word of the Lord ends up costing other people. It cost other people in the story you heard last week. It wasn't just about Travis. It was about other people all down through his life. It's about other people in my life when I run away from God. And it's about other people as well. That's that old saying, no man liveth to himself and no man dieth to himself. My words, my thoughts, my actions, they have consequences, especially on the people I love. Notice what verse number four and five say in Jonah chapter one. It says, but the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried, every man unto his what does it say there? Every man unto his God. But what I want you to notice is that's God with a little g. Not a big g, but a little g. You see, they were suffering because of Jonah's reluctance to obey. You see, the mission had already been revealed to Jonah. But the mission had also been rejected by Jonah. And so others are paying. Look back at verse number 5. Verse number five, continue, it says, Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man to his own God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah, notice again, here's some more imagery, but Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay <laughs> and was fast asleep. Jonah was fast asleep. And if you study that, this means that this guy is in a deep sleep. In fact, one commentary said that Jonah was so fast asleep he was snoring. I wouldn't say that you have to be really fast asleep to snore, but they said he was fast asleep. In other words, Jonah was unconscious of any danger that was taking place. And that verse says the boat was about to be broken. It was like to be broken. And yet Jonah's asleep. Listen, this is true in our lives as well. Sometimes when we are running from God, we've put our tennis shoes on, if you please. And we're running, 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 and we're running headfirst into sin. And we're not really concerned about the consequences that it may have in our life or in the life of others. What can happen is we can uh, be living our lives as though we're asleep. Unconscious. Unconscious of the storms that may be uh, crashing all around us unconscious of what's taking place in our life. And by the way, if we're in the midst of a storm that is caused because of our own sinfulness, don't blame God about it. That's what we like to do. 
We like to choose our own way versus his way, and then we turn around and somehow it's his fault. Think about this. Jonah runs and gets as far away from sinners as possible. That's his idea, right? God says, go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, I don't want any part of them because they're wicked, they're sinful, they're a violent people. And so he goes down and he gets on the boat. This is kind of, kind of ironic. He gets down on a boat full of sinners. I don't want to be around sinners, God. I don't want to go communicate your message. And yet he finds himself on a ship filled with sinners. Interestingly enough, God uses the storm and sinful man to hold Jonah accountable. I love the fact that the prophet Jonah, who was sent to rebuke the greatest monarch in the world at that time, was himself rebuked by the ship's captain. Notice verse number six. Jonah was sent on a mission to rebuke the monarch of of Nineveh, and yet he ends up being rebuked by the captain of the ship. Verse number six. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise. But notice what he says. Call upon thy God, capital G, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. So obviously the shipmaster knew that this was no common or ordinary storm. But here's something really cool. The shipmaster also knew that his God And the gods of his crew, he knew those gods were insufficient. Because remember, we've already read, they're already crying out to their gods. Every man knew his God, they're fearing, they're crying out, God, save us, save us, save us, you know. And nothing's taking place. So the shipmaster says, that guy down there that's asleep, it must be his fault. Let's go call it, get, get a hold of him. He says, you call on your God. You see, Therefore, the guy tells Jonah, he says, you get up and pray. But the realities of running are this. When we run, we run in the opposite direction of obedience. We will never be obedient when we are running in the opposite direction of God. There's no way to be his hands, his feet, his heart, and his voice when we're running. When we run, we run down into greater disobedience. It's like that person who says, uh, and, and I did this years ago. And I've confessed it and asked the Lord to forgive me, and I've asked my wife to forgive me. I used to do this years ago. I used to tell the little lie. Anybody ever told a little lie? I know nobody in this room has ever told a big lie. See, I used to tell my wife this. You see, because I, I, my work had become my God. Anybody ever done that? Anybody ever? By the way, we learned Wednesday night, what you focus the most on is God to you. So work had become my God, and so uh, my wife would be at home. My little baby boy, Colby. And she would say, dinner's ready, where are you? And I'd say, I'm coming by the Fairview Park Marriott, baby. I'm on my way home. You know this traffic is terrible. This, this Washington, D.C. traffic is horrific. It'll probably be three hours before I get home. And I was no more that the Fairview Park Marriott than a man on the moon. I was up in Arlington and just come out of Fort Myer. And because I didn't want her to know that I had spent more time working for the United States Army, trying to get more rank, trying to get promoted, Because I didn't want her to know that. I would say, hey, I'm on my way, baby. I'm by the Fairview Park Marriott. But you know what I know about little lies? They grow up. 
They grow out of those size 8 jeans. They grow up and they become bigger lies. They grow and they grow and they grow and then you, then you turn around you don't even know how you started lying. You see, when we run, we run to greater disobedience. And another reality about running is when we run, we run in rebellion against God. You know, I think of the story of Saul. Samuel told Saul, he was telling him in 1 Samuel 15, 23, we'll not go there, but he tells him, he says, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You see, Saul was commanded to do something, but Saul made his own choice. And he decided not to do what God had told him. And then the prophet Samuel tells him, he says, hey, sis, don't you understand that rebellion is the sin of witchcraft? We have to be careful from running in rebellion against God. I always like to say this about Jonah. In fact, years ago, I preached a message in Mexico entitled, You Can Run, But You Can't Hide. See, we can do the same thing proverbially. We can, we're, uh, we can try and run from God, but we cannot hide. David knew this. Turn with me to Psalm 139. I like this, and I got to wrap this little puppy up here. But Psalm 139, I think it'd be good for us to see this. David knew that you couldn't run and that you couldn't hide, although he had been on the run from Saul a time or two in his life, been on the run from those that were chasing him a time or two. In Psalm 139, notice what the Bible says in verse number one and following. It says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassed about, uh, um, compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Listen, you can run, but you cannot hide. Nowhere that you run, nowhere that you go, are you apart or out of God's purview. He sees you, even when we are reluctant to obey his word. Yes, Jonah might have paid the fare to get away, but what Jonah reaped was God's discipline instead. Notice verse number 12 of chapter 1 back in our text. We won't, we won't read it, but Jonah is saying here, he's saying to the, to the mariners, he's saying, throw me overboard. He says, take me up and throw me overboard, and the seas will be calmed. He, he tells them it's his fault. Well, in verse number 13, what we see is the men, they row harder. They're hard at it, but to no avail. They're not able to calm the ship or the storm. And then verse 14, the sailors start calling out. This is crazy. In verse 14, they start calling out and begging the Lord whom they do not know. <laughs> They start calling out and begging the Lord of whom they do not know to not let them perish because of Jonah's disobedience. In verse number 15, Jonah's cast into the sea. This is an amazing picture. They finally cast him overboard, and as soon as they cast him overboard, the sea stops its raging. In verse number 16, we see that the sailors, we see that they fear. The fear that they had of the storm has now been replaced by a reverential fear of the Lord God Almighty. 
And not only do we see that, but we see that they offer sacrifices and they make vows to God. Their lives have been transformed by this story of Jonah and his disobedience. In Jonah chapter 2, we find that repentant man, Jonah, in the belly of a sea monster. I'm not here to debate whether it was a shark, a whale, or anything else. All I know is the Bible says the Lord had prepared a great fish for Jonah. It was some kind of a sea creature that I cannot explain. But we see in Jonah chapter 2 that a repentant Jonah prays and praises God. And what do we find in chapter 2? God does what he does for you and me. He gave Jonah another chance. You look in chapter 3, you see, because the mission had been revealed in the beginning, it had been rejected in chapter 3, we see that the mission is reaffirmed for Jonah. Look at verse 1. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city. And now he's saying, Preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Notice verse number 3, the beginning. It says, So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh, notice, according to to the word of the Lord. He was no longer reluctant, but was now ready to obey the word of the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. But I got a question for you. I'm thankful that he was willing and ready now to obey the word of the Lord, but was his, but was his heart right? Was his heart right? See, I think we have a danger of doing that too. Okay. <sighs> I'll go out and work at Broad Run Church House. I'll be a part of the Helping Hands ministry. I'll serve it up for basketball. I'll go up there and work in the Abana Bible clubs. I mean, I'll sing in a choir, Jared. <laughs> if that pastor asks us to do one more thing, I'm, my head's going to explode. I'm ready, Lord, to serve you. But is our heart right? You see, look at Jonah chapter 3. Look at what takes place in verse 4. Jonah began to enter into a city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah thought that was all he's going to have to say. Forty days, and you're done. Thank you, Lord. I did my job. But notice what happens. Verse 5. Uh-oh. So the people of Nineveh, what does it say? Believed God, capital G, and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him. He took off his own robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let every man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? The king says, oh, I hear you, Jonah. Then he tells the people to fast and pray to the Lord God, that he might turn his anger away. 
And praise the Lord for verse number 10. It's such good news for even us because verse 10 not only reminds us that he gave Jonah a second chance, but it reminds us he gave Nineveh a second chance, and it reminds us that he gives us a second chance as same way. Verse 10 says, And God saw their works, and they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. How amazing is that? But there's a sad reality. It comes in verse number one of chapter four. Notice what Jonah, notice what the Bible says in this story. Verse number one, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Why is he so angry? I mean, he's angry? Are you serious? This is the guy who was disobedient, reluctant to follow the Lord's will. He went down to Joppa, hops a boat to Tarshish. He's thrown overboard into the belly of a fish. And then three days later, the fish spits him up on dry ground. He's saved, given another opportunity. The mission is reaffirmed. And he goes and carries out the mission. And yet he's angry because God has shown kindness and mercy and on and on. That you read there in verse number two. It's crazy. In verse number 3, it gets worse. Jonah says, Now therefore, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And then in verse 4, God basically says, Jonah, why are you so angry? Is it right for you to be angry? I mean, all I did was show mercy. All I did was show the same mercy I showed to you, to the people of Nineveh. Is it right for you to be angry? Notice what verse number 5 says as we wrap it up. Verse number 5, So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad. He went from being mad to glad all because of a silly little gourd. Notice verse number Seven, but God prepared a worm. When the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind. Notice what God's doing. God prepared the gourd. God prepared the worm. God's prepared the vehement east wind. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished himself, oh, here we go again, wished himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Verse number 9, and God said to Jonah, Dost thou well to be angry for the gourd? Now you're angry about the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd for which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? Folks, there's no doubt some great takeaways that we could spend a long time in this story getting. But the sad reality of this story is that Jonah went from being reluctant in his obedience to the point where he was actually ready to obey. However, along that path of reluctance to being ready, he never dealt with the real problem. And the real problem 
was his heart. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, I was talking about it in Bible study this morning. It reminds us to keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. If your heart's not right, you're probably going to be reluctant to receive anything from this message today. If you're sitting here and you say, well, pastor, I'm ready to serve the Lord. I'm ready to obey his word. But your heart's not right. You'll probably serve with what we refer to as a bad attitude. By the way, I have tried to serve the Lord before with a bad attitude. It doesn't work. And so, in the end, we find in our story that Jonah cared more about the gourd than he did the lost souls in Nineveh. And so, I ask you simply this morning, what is it that you care the most about? What do you care most about today? You say, well, I care most about my spouse. Well, I got news for you. He or she ought to be second. He or she ought to be second. If your spouse has become your God, you're in trouble. Now I'm going to step on toes. I, I care most about my child. Number three. Number three on God's pecking order. Although when our little angels were born, they thought they were number one. Even more so than the family dog or cat. If you say, well, what's most important to me is providing for my family. My wife likes affection and companionship, and she wants to know that I'm providing for the family. Number four. See, we're to keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. For with the heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We have to be very careful with this thing called our heart. And so I simply ask you today, are you more concerned about the gourd or are you more concerned about the Lord? The gourd or the Lord? What is the gourd in your life? I pray that you're right. Reluctant, ready, or right. Only you can decide. And I pray that you'll decide. It's very important. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about our ministry, please go to battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. See you next time.